Hello, everyone. I'm Harvey Brownstone, and today's special guest is one of America's most gifted, prolific, and iconic artists, a mega-talented singer, multi-platinum songwriter, recording artist, musician, and a beloved champion of the Great American Songbook. Her rich, perfect pitch voice and unique singing style, creating a brilliant blend of jazz and traditional pop, together with her trademark warmth and wit, have made her a renowned sellout concert artist across the country and internationally. She's performed with more than 40 of the world's top orchestras and big bands at the most prestigious concert halls, including Carnegie Hall, the Lincoln Center, the Kennedy Center, Boston Symphony Hall, and many more. She has shared the stage with everyone from Dizzy Gillespie, Stevie Wonder, Liza Minnelli, and Betty Buckley, to Audra McDonald, Christine Ebersole, Melissa Manchester, and Michael Feinstein. As a songwriter, she's simply phenomenal. She's the only composer to have collaborated with Cole Porter. She's written songs with many of the greats, including Carole King, Amanda McBroom, Sheldon B. Lynn, and most recently with my dear friend, Melissa Manchester. And her songs are featured on eight of Barbara Streisand's albums. She's recorded 16 critically acclaimed albums, including Bring Back Romance, After Hours, Slow, Blues in the Night, Jazz Goes to the Movies, two Christmas albums, two albums with her incredibly talented sister, Liz Calloway. And now, Following the enormous success of her tribute albums to Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan, she's released her highly anticipated brand new album entitled Fever, a Peggy Lee celebration, containing 14 beautiful songs made famous by the legendary Peggy Lee. The list of accolades and awards our guest has amassed is jaw-dropping. She got a Tony Award nomination for Best Actress for her performance in the hit Broadway musical Swing. She's won the Theatre World Award, 15 Mac Awards, the Mabel Mercer Award, and the Johnny Mercer Award for songwriting. She was voted by Broadway World as Performer of the Year and two years in a row as Best Jazz Vocalist. And last year, Broadway World named her Entertainer of the Year. And if all that weren't enough, yes, it's true, she's the one who wrote and performed that wonderful theme song for the hit TV show, The Nanny. I am beyond thrilled to welcome the spectacular Anne Hampton Calloway to our show. And thank you so much for being here. Harvey is an absolute delight. And thank you for that very generous introduction. Well, it's a pleasure. I have to tell you, as long as that introduction was, and I admit it was longer than my usual introductions, I didn't even begin to scratch the surface of your major career highlights. You are absolutely tireless in the volume of work that you produce. Do you ever get amazed by your own stamina? You know, I wish I had more stamina, but I get amazed that somehow the passion that I live my life with for the things that I do keeps me going despite how tired my body is. My heart is always ready to show up and, and create something. And so I, I, I live a very demanding, but a very inspiring and fulfilling life. And I'm, I'm extremely blessed. Well, and we are also blessed that you're in this world. Before we talk about your new album, which I have to tell you, I absolutely love, I want to ask you about some aspects of your career that I find so fascinating, starting with a song from your first album called I Gaze in Your Eyes. You wrote the music to lyrics written by Cole Porter. Can you tell us how that came about? 
Yeah, that was a really thrilling experience. A friend of mine named Bradshaw Smith, who was a singer and a videographer, came across two lyrics in the complete book of, of Cole Porter lyrics that had not been set to music. And he was doing a show of Cole Porter and said, Anne, why don't you write some music to these songs? And so I did. And at a recording session with Ben Bagley, when he was doing compilation CDs of great composers, I said to Ben, would you like to hear the song I wrote with Cole Porter? <laughs> and he said, what? And so I played the song for him and he said, oh, we have to record that. And I said, we can't, it's not published. He said, well, let me talk to the Cole Porter estate. And the ladies at the uh, Cole Porter estate said, oh no, we would never accept this. And, and well, Ben was a very plucky Irishman and he actually said, Anne wants to get the no from the head of the estate. Why don't you play him the cassette that I sent you? And that's how old the, uh, the song is. And so apparently Robert Townsend played, played the cassette in his car, wept and said, we have to publish the song. It's too beautiful not to have as part of our catalog. And so I am the only composer ever to have collaborated with Cole Porter. And since then, I've had wonderful other experiences of taking pre-existing beautiful poems and lyrics and setting them to music. And it's, it's a joy and an honor. And it's, it's a little intimidating because you know, I always feel like I want to channel some of the spirit that they have to make sure that it really lives up to the, the beautiful words that I'm given. But that was uh, one of the highlights of my songwriting career. Well, I tell you, I think you made him proud of wherever he is. I think that he's shining down on you. Uh, another one of my all-time favorite songs is one that you wrote called At the Same Time, which Barbara Streisand recorded and performed on her live concert album. And your performance of that song, Anne, on your YouTube channel for the Lincoln Center Humanity in Concert series is absolutely breathtaking. Tell me about the process of writing that fabulous song. This song has an incredible history. It would take an entire show to tell you the history of the song and how it's touched lives. It's going to be on my upcoming CD of all Anne Hampton Calloway originals coming out in September. But I wrote the song in 1987, the day before an event was taking place called the Harmonic Convergence. And it was going to be an international prayer for world peace. And so I had written a poem and I set the poem to music. And the next day I sang it a cappella in the park along with all the other events that were going on. And that holiday season, I took the poem, I recorded it, I took the song, recorded it, and I sent it to world leaders. I mean, hundreds of world leaders. And believe it or not, many of them responded to the song and thanked me for writing it, uh, including Mikhail Gorbachev, who I later met in person and sang to him a cappella at a peace conference, and he had tears rolling down his face. Ronald Ray was the president at the time, and he, uh, his, I got received a letter from the White House. Governor Cuomo of New York called me up at seven o'clock in the morning in Chicago to thank me for this writing a song and telling me that he wanted it to be the, the theme for the decade of the child that he was creating. But all, all along, I knew that I wanted the song to go to Barbara Streisand. And so the stories of how I tried to get the song to her and the people who wanted to record the song like Liza Minnelli and other people, I said, no, I'm saving this for Barbara. And Barbara literally recorded her final vocal 10 years to the date that I composed the song, which is 
I think, extraordinary. She sold six million records on the first album, Higher Ground, and then she used it in the compilation CD called Timeless. And I got to see her perform it live. And, and now I'm so excited to be doing a, a very beautiful recording of it myself all these years later and really putting it out into the world finally. And it's, it seems, unfortunately, more timely than ever with all that's going on in the world. Well, it is not just a song, it's an anthem. It is beautifully performed by you on your YouTube channel. I Thank can't you. wait to hear it on the new album. Of course, the Barbra Streisand version. I mean, your connection with Barbra Streisand is actually quite amazing. You wrote the lyrics to the song she sang to her husband, James Brolin, at their wedding. It's called I've Dreamed of You, and it's on three of her albums, including the brand new album celebrating her 60th anniversary with Columbia Records. Congratulations, Anne. Thank you very much. It's so exciting. And I'm just honored that this song means so much to her. And she's coming out with an autobiography in November. And it'll be interesting to see how she writes about that experience because it was really, that is another story that could take a long time to tell of how it all happened together. And the very last minute she decided to sing at her wedding and they didn't have the TV track for her to, to sing it to. And we had to go through all these hoops to get it to her. And, and uh, it was a miracle that she got to perform it at the wedding and her performance uh, live that I've seen her do and, and on her recordings are just so beautiful. And I'm, it's, it's just mind boggling that I have had that kind of relationship with Barbara. I even got to write some of her patter for her uh, Emmy winning millennial concert uh, when the changing of the millennium took place and being on the phone with her. I mean, I'm not intimidated by people except for Barbara Streisand. There's something about talking to her in her home and just imagining where she is and you know I, I try to compose myself but it's it's i'm still pinching myself like oh my god it's barbara streisand well she should be pinching herself to sing your beautiful compositions she also sang your beautiful song a christmas lullaby on her christmas yeah. album and can you describe the feeling you get when you hear one of the greatest singers of all time singing one of your songs well, I get all teary thinking about it, but I have a feeling of wonder. You know, all of us who do this kind of work in the world, singers, actors, performers, there are, there are so many difficulties in the, the kind of life that we live. So many dreams that don't come true. So many almosts, and I can't, and that would take another, a book to write that. But when something happens and somebody that you revere who has such a stellar reach and incredible talent, is able to convey the messages that come from your heart, it really doesn't get much better than that. I, I feel deeply, deeply grateful and honored that she would be moved enough to, to share my songs with the world. And she's touched a lot of lives with, with those songs. And so I try to live life inspiring people and she certainly has helped that mission. One of my dreams is for you to record a duet with Barbara. Wouldn't that be amazing? I have the same dream, come to think of it. You never know. We, we had a nice discussion after the Chaplin Awards uh, a few years ago when she won the esteemed film award. And, you know, she, I think she seemed to be impressed to hear me live when I, I did an improv about her in front of all these Hollywood uh, stars and, and after she received the award. And, I just thought, oh, may those wheels turn a little further and maybe someday we'll do something creative together. You never know. Uh, you know, I, 
I like to dream big and those things, who knows, it might happen. Well, if you could choose any song to sing with her, what song would you pick? Well, actually, I would love to do a duet of, at the same time with her. I think because she feels the same way about world peace as I do. And I've written other inspirational songs that I think she would sing beautifully. My sister and I just recorded a song of mine called Wherever You Are to honor people we've lost. And singing that with her, I mean, I'm sure Barbara has lost a lot of people in her life as well. And it would be interesting to sing that song. I would like to write an actual duet with for Barbara and me about what we believe in, because she's she's not just a great artist. She's a very serious citizen. And if together we could create something that would lift the world and wake up some people who maybe don't think about what really matters, but only think about themselves, I think we would both be very happy to have that mission accomplished. Oh, that's for sure. Well, her very dear friend, Richard J. Alexander, is coming on the show in a couple of weeks. Would you mind if I plant the idea in his head? I love that idea. Please do. <laughs> and he's a man with great stories. I, I love Richard. He's He's done a lot of great work with Barbara. I've seen the shows he's directed her in, and he's directed so many marvelous artists and shows. So he's got stories galore. Now, you've recorded a beautiful tribute album to Ella Fitzgerald called To Ella With Love, and you did a wonderful live album in tribute to Sarah Vaughn called From Sassy to Divine. And now you've given us this terrific new album of Peggy Lee songs. Who were your musical influences growing up? Well, I, I do these records because these are my musical influences, and they helped me have a language of music and harmony and inflection and and they gave me musical choices and they taught me songs that really influenced and shaped helped shape me as an artist now i have a wider range of influences you know i go from the the, the great jazz singers of that time period and then i go into the singer songwriters of the 70s like carol king james taylor stevie wonder joni mitchell um, those are very big influences in my life as a songwriter. And Judy Garland was my first favorite singer when I saw her as a little girl in The Wizard of Oz. And the, the beautiful heart that she gave every song that she sang, whether on film or in her recordings, uh, touched me deeply. One of my biggest influences, believe it or not, was an opera singer, uh, the great Leontine Price. And I had teachers growing up thinking that I might be an opera singer because I had a very mature soprano voice and I loved classical music. I love passionate music. And I met her and, and I saw that she taught me that a singer, if their heart is open, can be a vessel of love and spiritual energy. And when I saw her perform at Ravinia live, I got to meet her afterwards and, and thank her for her inspiration that stays with me to this day. So let's talk about the new album. It's called Fever, a Peggy Lee Celebration, which is a tremendously well thought out album, because in addition to some of the big signature tunes, you chose some of her lesser known songs like Johnny Guitar and Angels on Your Pillow and Claire de Lune that truly reflect her artistry. How did you go about selecting the songs for the album? Well, first I created a show that was supposed to be a centennial celebration of her life. And I had tremendous inspiration from knowing her family through the years. In 2003, I performed at the 
uh, Carnegie Hall celebration of Peggy Lee with an amazing array of artists. And I got to know her daughter, Nikki, and her granddaughter, Holly Foster Wells. And Holly has been an amazing keeper of the flame of Peggy. In fact, when she was six years old, Peggy Lee said, you're going to be in charge of my legacy. And she is doing an amazing job. So I had put this very carefully crafted show about Peggy Lee's music and her life and it was very personal. And the songs were not only songs that she was famous for, but they were also songs that revealed a chapter in her life, a quality in her life, a challenge in her life, a passion in her life that you really, people just say, oh, I never knew that so much about Peggy Lee. Now I feel these songs are totally new. After I finished that successful show, which got huge rave reviews, I talked to uh, Holly about the record that I want to make and I said, how can we make this a special record? And so she suggested that I write music like I did with Cole Porter's lyric uh, to an, uh, one of her poems. And she was digging around and found this beautiful unpublished poem called Claire de Lune about Claude Debussy's passionate affair with a woman named Gabrielle Dupont, who she wanted to do a movie about. And so I took this poem and I set that to music. And then she gave me permission to record a song that she wrote with Paul Horner about her passion for her husband who became an alcoholic and broke her heart. And then towards the end of their lives, they were going to be together and then he died. And it's just a magnificent song called The Other Part of Me. And then she suggested, well, why don't you do something with John Pizzarelli, who's the son of, of my grandmother's other favorite guitarist, Bucky Pizzarelli. And so John is my guest artist and just did such a beautiful job. And I wanted to focus a lot more about her songwriting because to me, she was one of the, I think she was the very first famous female singer songwriter. And she doesn't get seen that way. And I wanted to show the world how much I value her writing. And you know, Johnny Guitar is just a magnificent piece. In fact, it's today's Joan Crawford's birthday, and I was posting about the song, just uh, how it was inspired by some of the, the ups and downs in her relationship with Dave Barber, her love. So it's it was so much fun. And then getting to work with my beautiful trio and, and my my wonderful guitarist, Bob Mann, who's performed with and recorded with Linda Rodstad and has done a lot of shows with me around the world. It just it was a love fest in the studio. It was, and John came with his suit and tie and his guitar at ten a.m. sharp. And there's a lot of love in this record, and I hope I hope that it it gets it continues to get the kind of great attention it's getting right now. Oh, there's a very good reason why people are loving this album. There's a lot of warmth. You bring Peggy Lee to us, but in the way that only you can because of your voice and your musicianship. Did you ever get to meet Peggy Lee? I wish I had. I was probably sitting six feet away from her in our, one of her last performances in New York at the Hilton. But I, it didn't seem like she was welcoming people to come up to her after the show. Like I frequently did. I met Sarah Vaughn and other people. But uh, no, that is, uh, that's one of the things that I didn't get to do. But I felt when you see a singer live, you learn so much about them. You can hear all their records, but I don't think you really know a singer till you see them live. And when I saw her live the first time, in particular at Ravinia, uh, a beautiful amphitheater in Chicago, I just, 
I saw the, the brilliance and the star quality and uh, was a great actress. Uh, not many jazz singers are also actresses and actors. She really told a story with tremendous presence and musicality and subtlety. And it, it really, it took my appreciation to her to a new level, of her to a new level. And so I, I feel like she's in the spirit realm. And when I was sitting down to write those lyrics, uh, uh, the music to her beautiful poem, Holly had given me a beautiful gift of her grandmother's Lalique cat, crystal cat. And I looked into the eyes of that crystal cat before I started composing the music. And I felt like Peggy was just like zooming through those eyes and sent me to the piano and boom, the music just came. So who knows? Well, she had a quality that you have in spades. It is very few singers that I think can do what you're so good at. Doris Day was another one that did it. When I listen to you sing, it feels like you're singing only to me. It's a very intimate quality you have. And when I've seen you in concert with thousands of other people there, you still do it. I don't know quite how you can create that kind of intimacy in your performance. And she did that too. You really, I hope you know what that means to an audience member when they can just block out everybody else and feel like they're having this intimate moment in their heart with you. Yeah, I, I, intimacy to me is one of the, no matter, I mean, when you sing in a, in a small room, like a cabaret room or a jazz room, it's easier to create the intimacy physically. But intimacy is an emotional quality. And if you, you have to be really fully present to a song to create that intimacy with, with, with an audience, each member, because I am, my imagination is filled with the moment. And I'm letting people in on a private moment that is universally something we all experience. And so it, it is heart to heart. And it does have that very, you know, almost like, oh, wow, what's happening here? Sometimes the energy of my audience just, just opens my heart up to a point where I can't believe it all. I'll just have to start crying in a song because I feel so much connecting going on. And when, when you're singing and, you're, and you have that kind of an audience, it's like you're all one big heart. And it's, it's a phenomenal experience. It's hard to describe. Well, that's because there's a very special energy that's created. Now, I don't know what you'll think of this question, but because you're a Peggy Lee fan, and so am I, I'm going to go for it. I, I'm sure you remember that Peggy Lee was asked to sing The Way We Were at the Academy Awards because Barbara Streisand wouldn't do it. She was too nervous. And although I, Peggy... I not know that story. Wow, this is fascinating. Well, when was this? Not, not after Marvin Hamlish. No, it that was, it that was happened... Cool. The year that The Way We Were was nominated for Best Song, Barbara Streisand was she going to sing it. She didn't want to? Yes. She said she was far too nervous. This was during the time when she would not perform live. Yeah. And so Peggy Lee was asked to come on the Academy Awards and sing The Way We Were. And she was very heavily criticized for the way she sang that song, because it was a very different interpretation than Barbara's. So if you haven't seen it, I think I would love to know what you think of her interpretation, because I thought it was very brave that she had this very unique way of phrasing. So I'll leave that with you. I hope you'll, you'll watch it on YouTube, see what you think. 
but that's somehow when people expect Barbara Streisand, they will not be open, not everybody, they won't be open to hear another interpretation. It could be Shaka Khan, it could be, you know, who knows, any famous, it could be Adele, it could be any number of people who have a huge reputation. But if that's not their good old Barbara Streisand, who is the person, she is that song, they will feel betrayed. <laughs> I did a, uh, a whole beautiful uh, hour long video of a, of a show at uh, the year that Linda Ronstadt won her Kennedy Center Award. And when they, when they first aired that video, the, the ardent, rabid fans of, of Linda Ronstadt were like, this, who is this woman? Why is she singing these songs? Where's our Linda? And you know, they just couldn't, they, I, I was never read so many cruel reviews because they were expecting Linda Ronstadt who no longer can sing. And so <laughs> it was a lesson that you just, when you're a singer, you have to be brave. People are not always gonna like you. You have to sing you, you have to be you when you sing. And sometimes you can help people open up their minds that this is going to be a very different take on it, but it's done with great love. Then maybe people will say, oh, okay, you know, but <laughs> when somebody wants something specific like that, it's, it's amazing how disappointed if they don't get exactly what they want, they can be. Well, you've been touring a lot all over the country, and you're getting to sing these beautiful Peggy Lee songs live in concert. Do you feel her presence when you sing her songs? I do, actually, yes. Yeah. I've felt her presence ever since I met the family. And I will tell you a secret. Some, some people know this, but not a lot of people. When I perform, I believe that music is a bridge between heaven and earth. And so I have a little, I have like a little cloud. And, and now that my parents are gone, I feel like I see them and I experience them from time to time. And I, some of the singers that I honor are there. Like the two days after my mother passed away, I was doing an Ella tribute in Boston at Scholars. And I dedicated every time we say goodbye to the memory of Ella and my mother. And I literally looked up into the lights and I saw my mom and Ella holding hands. And it was so real. And there are times when I've looked into the lights and I've seen Peggy and I, and I think she's happy that, that her music lives on. And, and so I just sent her my love. And who knows, it's all a mystery, but, but I do feel visited by various spirits. One, one time I was in Paris and I was feeling this incredible wave of sorrow. I looked down at the Père, Le Père Lachaise and it was the tombstone of Edith Piaf. And I, I, I just was overcome with this energy. I, I looked down and I, I kneeled at the tombstone and I listened and I felt and I said to her, if you ever still need to sing, let me be your vessel. And I will tell you, there's a few times in my concert career where I've been <laughs> usurped by Edith Piaf and she finishes La Vie en Rose much better than I could. And so it is a mysterious process when you open your heart to other worlds. And I'm just happening to be a very spiritual person. And I, I think I'm available to those other worlds. That makes total sense to me because there's a spirituality about the music and about your musicianship 
And I can see how you're not just channeling them, you are bringing them back to us, to the audience. And the, the music is really a language. It, it's a language of, of emotional yeah. connection. You know, the, the real trick to these shows for me, it's a very, it's a very, it takes a lot of courage to do a show about a great artist. And it's demanded me to be better and grow into the music that I sing of these artists that I am so inspired by. And I have to make sure that I'm being me. I'm putting my own spin on these songs and yet honoring the life of the artist, honoring the, their essence. And so it's, it's a beautiful balance of, of my originality as, as performing as me and yet being informed by the beauty of the artists that I'm honoring. And so every now and then, though, I do have these moments where like, oh, my God, what was that? <laughs> I think that's just magical. There's so much about you that really is very magical. One of the things you're most renowned for, Anne, is your ability to compose songs instantly using words and phrases that people give you. I first saw you do it on the Rosie O'Donnell show. And of course, everybody was blown away. Does songwriting really come that easily to you? I will tell you a secret. When I was 12 years old, I read Bob Dylan's free association novel called Tarantula. I was like, how could he write a book? Just like the first thing that comes to mind, a whole book like that. And so I started writing in my journal, free association, the first thing that comes to mind, like James Joyce and many other writers at that, you know, earlier before Bob Dylan. And that opened up a world in me where now, because my mind knows how to rhyme and, and I trust my intuition and I could be anywhere at any time in any setting and make up a song about anything. And I don't know, most of the time it's good. It's sometimes it's, it's something like, oh my God, I could never write a song that good because it's just so fresh in the moment. And it, it's, a, it's a leap of faith that I've learned to, to do. And it's, it's, a, it's another kind of spiritual experience, actually, because you can't do that without being 100% in the moment. Oh, yeah. Well, as you know, I've had a number of songwriters on our show, people like Paul Williams, Melissa Manchester, Graham Russell from Air Supply. They've oh. all, uh, we've got Tim Rice coming on. All of these people have told me that when they're writing a song, it feels like the music is coming to them from some kind of divine inspiration, and they can't really explain where the melodies come from. Is that how it works for you as well? I will tell you, I write songs in different ways. If I write a melody first, I will spend weeks, sometimes months, even a year, trying to figure out what is this song about. But the moment I start writing words, you know how you talk about in, in a conversation, if I say, I love you, da-da-da, there's a cadence, there are actual notes in how people speak. And a lot of times I'm one of the writers, not everybody does this, but I'm one of the writers that I immediately, Cole Porter was this way, I immediately hear music with the words. And I just have to like write it down as quickly as possible so that I don't forget it. And, but again, it's the other way around if I write music first, like, oh no, what, <laughs> what is this? In that case, I, I'll, I've started sending melodies to Alan Bergman because he doesn't want to have to write the words first, he wants the melody first. And so he's going to be featured on my new 
uh, songwriting CD as a, a do a song that we wrote for my sister Liz to sing, and it's a beautiful love song that he said I need a melody first, and and so he he made the words just beautifully. But yeah, it is like you're saying about what they said. It does feel like it comes from another world, and sometimes we don't realize how big the world inside of us is and so it may seem like another world out there but there's a beautiful world in here and all of those worlds are together well i don't know if this makes sense to you as a fan and as a a listener an avid listener of your music and watching you perform it feels like you have this ability to peel away all of the layers of what people expect of you what you should do what it might sound like you seem to be able to eliminate any doubts and just go with what you feel is pure and real and that's quite a gift it really is well that's a beautiful thing to say and i think if i am doing that is part of it is maturity uh, when you start out as a singer you know some people are lucky and they're still the pure self that they were born to be and that, but in the music business, there's a lot of people that say, oh, you'll never fit in if you do X, Y, and Z. And if you really want to be a success, you need to do A, B, and C. And people start to become something that they're not and be successful for it. And then they become very neurotic and unhappy. And uh, I'm really glad that I've been true to myself through the years and that I've cultivated a, a respect for my natural impulses and and also i've learned a lot from from doing and from listening and from being surrounded by so many great people not just in music but in in the arts and spiritually that that i think that that this you know if we work hard we can become who we really are in every moment there's another very special thing about you and it's the way you treat your voice, you are a great steward of that voice. You take care of your voice. We can hear it. And I think that shows so much respect for your gift, but for also for your audience. You, you want us to hear you at your very best. And we can tell that. Well, I, thank you for saying that. Uh, I will tell you there's an exception to that rule, and it was a very big exception. There's the old slogan in show business, the show must go on. And I've performed in shows where I had a cold or I had, you know, a cough and et cetera. And I've navigated it carefully. But in 2017 at Birdland, I was doing a tribute to Ella with a loud band. And I did 10 shows and I was coughing every night. I was coughing a lung and I had no idea like, oh my God, this something is wrong. It's not just me with a cold. And I went to a doctor. He didn't understand how profound my, my voice had been damaged. And I went to uh, Actors Fund, got me a doctor right away. And he said, you have a vocal ulceration and you're going to need to cancel all your gigs for two months and be utterly silent. What he didn't tell me was he wasn't sure that I'd ever sing again. And I did everything he told me to do. And then I came back and he said, you're good to go. And I'm so glad you sing. <laughs> I was like... Oh my God, you know, if I couldn't sing, it would be incredibly heartbreaking to me. Wow, well, I had no idea. Thank God that you got that voice back and that you yeah, healed. 
I share that story for singers out there that sometimes the show must not go on. It's not always the show must go on because you got to think about your whole future, not just that moment. You know. Now, two of my favorite albums of yours are the ones you did with Liz, especially the live one from Birdland. I've had the pleasure of seeing you and Liz do your show together. And it's fabulous because of the material you choose and the way your voices blend so perfectly. It's really pure magic. Is there any chance the two of you will record another album together? Oh, it's highly likely. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're in conversation about something like that. And the question is, what will it be? Will it be a studio album? Will it be a live album? But we have a lot of things we want to record. And as I said, I, I have a duet with Liz on my upcoming CD uh, called Wherever You Are. And she just sounds like an angel on it. So uh, I love singing with Liz. She's an incredible singer. And I think one of the things I love about the fact that we're sisters and we've known each other our whole lives, and there's all this love and, you know, wonderful knowledge about each other, that the humor, the the ability to like sing the wrong lyric together if somebody forgets the lyric and breathe together and just, just the, it's like psychic singing. And it's, yeah, I definitely want to do more recording with Liz. Well, that's good to know. I think the two of you are so amazing together. One of the shows you do is Anne Hampton Calloway sings the 70s. What is it about the music of the 70s that resonates with you so much? Well, it was a big time of awakening for me as a singer-songwriter. And I think that some of the, you know, I, I revere the Great American Songbook, which was, you know, primarily the 20s through the 50s. And the 60s was, you know, the rock and roll really started to take over. But the 70s introduced a new breed of songwriters who were poets and who were finding new ways to share the human experience in a very profound, beautiful way, and, and sometimes a very fun way. And since, you know, I was doing really serious listening in those years, knowing that I wanted to be a singer and, and loving, falling in love with each new artist that came along the way, I know I memorize these records, I learn how to sing these songs. So they're really deeply ingrained in me. And uh, one of the joys I had recently, you mentioned Melissa Manchester, she agreed to sing a few songs with me in the 70s show at the Carpenter Center in Los Angeles. And oh my God, you know, what an amazing 70s icon. But there's a certain soulfulness of, of the, that time period in the people that I revere. And we hit it off so much that we wrote a song together for the new CD. And we're, uh, we just did a Zoom yesterday about uh, an upcoming album project that we want to do together uh, with a wonderful Sherry Miracle and the Diva Jazz Orchestra. So it, stay tuned for some really exciting uh, things happening with Melissa. Oh, that really is exciting. Well, I adore you both. I've got to tell you, the 70s to me, there were a number of singer-songwriters we got our emotional education from them. People like Carol King. Yes, yes. You know, uh, Joni Mitchell, Carol King, Carly Simon, uh, Melissa, uh, Carol Bayer Sager. That's so meaningful to me that you love the music of the 70s because that really was our emotional education. Yeah, and it, I think there were a lot of, some of the music in the 60s was very, bip, 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 you know, and the 70s is like, Hey, let's get real. What is it really? How does it really feel to lose somebody? 
What are we really dreaming of? The songwriting in the 70s that made me feel understood as an emotional kid growing up, you know, with a lot of feelings. These songs are like, this song knows me better than I know myself. And what a gift to give people is to feel that sense of emotional connection that they offered us. You've produced and hosted two TV specials called Singer's Spotlight with Anne Hampton Calloway, with Liza Minnelli and Christine Ebersole. Those shows really help to keep the American songbook alive and thriving. I hope you do more TV shows like that. I hope so too. In fact, I want to revisit that series because when I was trying to develop a whole TV series about it, it was financially too challenging because HDTV was being just being integrated into television. And it was so expensive that there was no way we could finance a show like that. So it's a mission of mine to teach America and the world and show America some of its great artists who, who have so much to learn from as people and artists. And then a part of that mission is to, for those artists to choose who's the newcomer that you think really has the most special talents to, to be aware of. And so to, to learn from the legends, but also to discover the new beautiful artists. And on that subject, I just want to say that if any of your listeners have not caught Samara Joy, she just won Best Artist of the Year uh, at the Grammy Awards at the age of 23. No jazz artist, to my knowledge, has ever done that before. And she is absolutely phenomenal. You should have her on your show. A beautiful, special, special spirit and gorgeous voice, beautiful presence and a true artist. We have reached out to her, and I believe plans are in the works to get her on the show. Good, good, yeah. You've also just recorded a new song, a duet called Almost, that you wrote with Amanda McBroom. It's going to be released on May 12th, correct? That's right, yes. We wrote this song at her house at a breakfast. You know, we were all in our pajamas. It was a sleepover. And she said, Anne, I have this lyric, and I'd like you to take a look at it, and maybe you'd like to write some music. So I read it, and I thought, oh, yeah, I want, I want to write the music to this. I said, well, let's go to your studio, and I'm going to write the music now. <laughs> and literally, that's what happened. I turned my, my iPhone voice recorder on, and I just composed all the music on the spot. And we've been singing that song in our show, Delicious around the country. And it was so thrilling to finally get to record it uh, with Stefan Oberhoff's magnificent, beautiful arrangement and Michelle Brauerman, our beloved friend, playing the piano. And it's, it's just so beautiful. We, we recorded it together, our vocals together in Tucson, where she now has a home and I live. And I hope we get to do more recording together. We, we did a lot of songwriting during the pandemic and I love our, our friendship musically on stage and off. I love the fact that you've done some really terrific duets. You wrote and recorded a wonderful song called Tonight You're All Mine with the one and only Carol King. The two of you wrote the words and the music together. What was yeah. the experience like to compose a song with Carol King? Well, here's the deal. I, I, I saw her in LA after, after the show I did with Liz. And I that New Year's Eve, I had a uh, put my New Year's resolution, I want to write more songs. So I heard myself ask her after the show, I said, I'm, I'm doing a recording in May. Would you like to write a song with me for it? 
because I had set that intention. And she said, yes. Now I'm thinking we're going to be emailing back and forth. She lives in LA. I live in New York. Well, guess what? She wanted to write the song the day of of the recording. <laughs> so at 11 a.m. she shows up, we have coffee, we write improv poetry, and about, I don't know, noon, the band is coming in an hour, and like, we, we really need to write this song. And so boom, we wrote it, she stayed, she taught the band, she ended up singing backup vocals on it, and then she stayed when I recorded her beautiful song, Will You Love Me Tomorrow. It was one of the happiest days of my life. She was really the perfect person so so generous all the things she said to me and will never forget well i don't know what she said to you but i'll bet it was really well deserved because that's a that's a beautiful song your recording of will you still love me tomorrow is one of my favorites of all the songs you've done i'm wondering have you ever thought of recording a duets album i i know you've done them with your sister but a duet different duets with different singers I think it's, I think because the new album has several duets on it, I think that's a good jumping off point to do a, a duets album. I love, I have so many friends I truly love to sing with and, and people I've always wanted to sing with. So yeah, the only problem when you do a duets album is how do you do the shows afterwards when you can't get them all together and, you know, it's so people sort of expect like, well, why isn't she doing it the way it's on her record? But this, as a record, I think it would be a thrilling experience. And I would, I would have a lot of fun reaching out to people to do that. Like, Barbara, Barbara, Anne, I'd love to sing on your duets album. I, I don't know why you didn't ask me sooner. <laughs> Barbara, can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> and one of the most unforgettable things I've ever seen you do happened on the Larry King show shortly after 9-11. You performed an incredibly powerful song that you wrote called I Believe in America. How in the world did you manage to maintain your composure and deliver such a moving performance on live television? I was gobsmacked. Well, I, thank you very much. I'm glad you saw that. Well, what makes it even more a miracle that I got through the song was the producer said that Osama bin Laden was known to watch that show. And so I was like, oh, my God. But after September 11th, I felt like, okay, I need to be a part of the, the troop of people that helps lift people up during this unspeakable time of tragedy and mind-boggling inhumanity. And I actually was going to be on the first airplane out of New York City, and I pulled my car over as I was driving to the airport, and I started writing the music of that song, and then I finally finished it. And I just felt no matter what I could possibly do, if I could help uplift people and find goodness in each other and strengthen each other, if I could be a part of that, then I would be making something beautiful out of something unspeakably horrible. After 9-11, you wrote another song called Let Us Be United based on an 8,000-year-old prayer, correct? That's right, yes, yeah. And that was shared all over the world, and uh, it, was a, it was a very profound... When I, when I got the, the words to this prayer from the Rig Veda, I just closed my eyes, thought about them, and then instantly the music came out of them, and it's that they were waiting for 8,000 years to be sung.
And so that was really a profound experience to, to set a, a very sacred prayer to music and have people from all over the, you know, various internationalities be in the chorus of, of that and children. And it was, it was a beautiful experience. And, and that's the power of music when you can come together and do something. After the pandemic began, I released my song, Carry On, to sort of talk about reminding ourselves that we have the strength to get through anything. And a lot of people said that song. I had medical workers said they used to play that before they went on the floor, and they said it helped them ground themselves to be prepared for what is an inhumane hard work. And so I feel like that's part of my job is to to be a messenger of inspiration. Well, that's an understatement. Uh, I mentioned your song, Let Us Be United. For any of our viewers who have not heard it, Anne Hampton Calloway recorded that song with Kenny Werner, the Siddha Yoga International Choir, and five-year-old Sonali Bevan, whose father died on Flight 93. And all proceeds from that song went to the Save the Children and the Prasad Project. Now, Anne, I know you're too humble to mention this, but I want to point out some of the other monumental things you've done in using your gifts to help people. You wrote and performed a song called Let the Saints Come Marching to help the victims of Hurricane Katrina. And the same year, 2005, you wrote a song called Who Can See the Blue the Same Again to help the victims of the tsunami. I hope you know, Anne, how remarkable and profoundly significant it is. And I'm talking here karmically, that you share your talent with the world in that way. I hope you really get that. Well, thank you very much. You know, I wish these songs had made more of an impact financially and reached more people. But I now, as I get older, realize that I just do my work and I follow my heart and I meet my fellow light keepers and we, we do this together and we put it out in the world. And we never know how many ripples we send out. You know, I look at people I admire and they're reaching millions and millions of people. And I have a more intimate uh, reach. But every now and then when Barbra Streisand, you know, records a song, suddenly that reach becomes much more expansive. And I'm trying to be kinder to myself because I want so much. I, I really, when I was a kid, I thought, am I going to be a person that's living in the generation of the end of the world, you know, with nuclear war possible? And, and am I going to be living in a time where if we don't get our act together, who knows what's going to happen? And I read these headlines every day, and I just think the work needs to continue. We, if we all do our own part, I can't do, I can't save the world, but each of us is capable of so much love and kindness and whatever we're good at, finding a way of doing it that makes the world more loving and kind and inclusive and connective. We can be the co-creators of a much more beautiful world. And so I encourage my fellow friends of music and, and every everybody to just look within and see how can I be meaningful? How can, what can I contribute? And it could be just the most intimate thing with one other person, and that is a wonderful accomplishment. 
Oh, it sure is. I mean, you're you're much, much more than a singer, songwriter, entertainer. You're an instrument for social change. You're a healer, for sure. And I, I can't also resist mentioning another song you wrote a few years ago called Thoughts and Prayers, which is in response to all of the gun violence and mass shootings that are constantly happening around the country. Sadly, that song is even more relevant now than it was when you wrote it. I want to publicly applaud you and thank you for saying what you said in that song. And you don't drive your career by what's commercial. You drive your career from your heart, your spirit, and your social conscience, and your love of humanity. It's really what sets you apart from everybody else in this industry. Well, thank you for putting my career in that lens because I, I know that those are my intentions, but I don't always know that people see me in that way or they experience me in that way. But I appreciate you looking at the picture of the choices I've made and recognizing that that's how I, that's how I live. And, and I think there are many other people in this world who live that way. And if we just keep working hard to do our very best at what we do, it does make a difference. Oh, it absolutely makes a difference. I, I really believe you are a healer. I want to tell our viewers that you can learn more about Anne Hampton Calloway, buy her albums, and see her concert schedule by going to her official website, annehamptoncalloway.com. And you can follow her on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe to her terrific YouTube channel where you can see some of her beautiful performances, including some of the performances I've mentioned in this interview. Well, Anne, I got to tell you, it's been a dream come true having this opportunity to interview you. I know how incredibly busy you are on your tour. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to appear on our show. Well, you really did your homework and you are a, a, a true follower of my music. So uh, I thank you so much for all the the love and thoughtfulness that you brought to our conversation. And I had a fabulous time. So I applaud you. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for that. I wish you the best of luck with the new album and all your upcoming concert dates. I can't wait to see you next August at 54 Below in New York. And I want you to know you are always welcome to come back on our show. I hope you'll come back to promote the next album that you're that you're putting out very soon. I would love to. And uh, I give you my diva blessings. Amen. Our guest has been the incomparable Anne Hampton Calloway. Her new album, Fever, a Peggy Lee celebration, is available on Amazon and every music streaming platform. My name is Harvey Brownstone. Thank you to our producer, Steve Silver, and my entire team at the XPTV1 Network in the UK. And a very special thank you to the wonderful Deborah Batsafin for facilitating this interview. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Thank you, Harvey. Thanks for watching. Be sure to check out all the great interviews on the Harvey Brownstone Interviews YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when new videos are posted.